Hello and welcome to the final editions of the conversation. My name's Graham, based in Manchester. And I'm Malika, and I'm in Norwich. Wow, Malika, as I've just said it, it's the final editions, isn't it? Final episodes. Yes, we're coming to the end of season one, aren't we? Yes, um, it's season one. We've already decided that there'll be, there'll be a season two in a few months' time, won't there? Yeah, when we're ready for it, because let's not forget, this is a hobby, a pastime that we're doing. So, uh, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah, Absolutely so... No. Yeah, what so, are we talking about today then, Grim? So we had a conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago in terms of like, you know, in society there's a lot of change happening, uh, there's a lot of um, angst, obviously we discussed uh, coronavirus quite in depthly, but however, there's another subject matter that's kind of approaching the news a lot at the moment is in terms of kind of workplace racism, isn't there? Yeah, uh, precisely. Workplace racism, racism in general, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a government report published this week. Uh, yeah, um, shall we just say a lot of us have been thinking in depth about it, uh, those of us at the receiving end of racism and xenophobia. Uh, but yeah, um, there's a lot of that going on and workplaces aren't actually immune to it. And I believe today we are going to uh, talk about this issue in education, isn't it? Absolutely, uh, definitely. I think that's what, you know, we've, we've already said this is going to be a double episode because I think there's just so much to talk about and our guest will be able to speak at length in this and obviously share some of their experiences and how they've had to approach uh, tackling uh, racism, especially within the education sector, isn't there? It is, yeah. Uh, It is something that's close to my heart. As you know, I work in the education sector uh, and there's a guest that is really, really knowledgeable in uh, that subject. Um, And I'd like to uh, invite that guest, if I may. Um, It's someone I really, really admire. uh, And that's Adrian Rollins. Um, People may know Adrian uh, for other reasons, and I'm going to let Adrian introduce himself today. Adrian, care to join us? Yeah, I'm here. Hello, hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Hi, yeah, well. nice to see you again. Yeah, yes. Good to see you both. We're, we're saying again because you've already contributed to our uh, podcast in another way, and that's going to come in uh, a further season, isn't it? Um, Adrian, for those people who don't know who you are, care to just introduce yourself briefly? Because we know who you are. I admire <laughs> you, and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'm, I'm Adrian Rollins. I'm uh, almost a, a quite a few things. So firstly, what people may initially know me for is I was a professional cricketer for 10 years. So I, I played professional sport, played professional cricket primarily for Derbyshire County Cricket Club and then Northamptonshire County Cricket Club. So I played that through from the 90s through to the early 2000s. Actually, I have a younger brother who played cricket for Essex as well at the same time, or it's during a similar time period. And then when I left... Um, cricket and I retired through a sudden injury I've been in education from 2003 to now and uh, I'm uh, currently a deputy at at a school in Nottingham Um, a school that I'm very very happy at I might add and and things are going well there and also you know I've had some very experience in sport and and in education Um, I'm I'm very proud to be a teacher and I'm very happy to be a teacher Um, but I'm also very aware of the fact that I am, you know, I am black and male and and certain things come with that. Yeah. When we say things come with it, do you want to describe some of the situations perhaps that you had to experience? Because we're talking about microaggressions, but really some of the things we've experienced, you and I know are kind of like blatant in your face. Are you able to give us some uh, examples perhaps and talk to us about the sort of things you had to put up with? Yeah. Um, 
it's it's been you know I I I I very much enjoy working in education. I love working with young people. Um, I most of my career has been with people in this in the secondary school sector, and I think some of the things that you encounter in term it's just in terms of that that perceived and it's not from everybody because it has to be said it's it's far from everybody, but that belief that for example. You know, my my primary roles within education have been in on, along the curriculum route, whereas someone who's grown up in an inner city, grew up a single parent family, you know, working works well with young people. Historically, I've been expected to be really good at pastoral, at helping say young young with youth, particularly black youth, and in, in working out how to get them engaged and and that kind of stereotype. But then at the same time. I've encountered the, you know, that ceiling where, okay, well, on that note, so because you're pastoral, at best, you might be an assistant head for pastoral, or at best, you'll be ahead of year. And, you know, being that, you know, middle leadership and, you know, the engine room in the school, and that's where your best fit is. And as opposed to being expected to have the skills or the experience to be working strategically within senior leadership. So, yeah, I've had, I've had my challenges and, and they've not, then some have been overt, some have been covert, but not covert necessarily in terms of people sneakily trying to do things. Sometimes the case of just people, their biases just coming through without them realizing it. And then, you know, I've had where people have later questioned themselves. I think one particular example uh, was where I, I worked, you know, and I won't say the school or what role I had, but um, because that's that's not the real the real point. The point is, mm. you know, I had a, a really extreme racist incident. One I can particularly remember where I had an extreme racist incident, and um, where a student made a very awful referral to what he thought I was, and the sanction to me was minimal. Um, and you know, sometimes as many teachers will will say. You know, when they're subject to a, a you know a sanctions made against a student with something that's come against them, they'll, they they'll be upset about their sanction because they'll say, you know, SLT don't understand or whatever. We've we've all been there with that. You know, I've been everywhere from you know a TA to a where I'm now as a senior leader. But in this particular case, you know, I I spoke out quite, you know, not angrily but quite clearly in terms of I didn't think that the sanction was fair. It didn't represent the behaviour by the student. And I just generally think the lack of understanding around what my experiences of racism wasn't understood. And rather than have that emotional intelligence and shoulder understanding, it, it went the other way. So all of a sudden, I, I wasn't particularly good at my job. I wasn't particularly good at anything that I did. And it was always minor things where it was just constant nitpicking. Um, and just it, it was, for me, harassment because yeah. it got to the point where I was, you know, the person, you know, the head wanted to put me on some kind of program, support program. And I I'd never in my entire career experienced that ever. So um, although that being said, that support program lasted probably about 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, I know. When, from when it started, because the person who was due to support me asked me, okay, what are your plans for A, B and C? I produced a, a very clear action plan, a very clear strategy around what I was doing and how I was going to go about it and the time frame upon which that particular member of staff was like, oh, okay, mm. uh, I have nothing more to say. So, and that was a start, beginning, end of a support plan. 
yeah and in the end the outcome of that in the end then um you left didn't you you had to leave that i place. left eventually I, I didn't leave right there and then uh, mm. because um having you know having someone like my mum as a mentor helps a lot i want you know it, it does give you an advantage in terms of being focused and being composed ultimately i had a a, a strong relationship with the students and many members of staff and what I did was I was looking for other roles trust me I was but um, mm -hmm. I think in terms of um, I don't recall it emotionally or spiritually because of that constant haranguing I wasn't in the right place I did apply got shortlisted um, I didn't get those jobs and that was mainly because it, for me I wasn't it, I wasn't emotionally in the right place to do that so my, my primary focus was just to go in was focus on myself focus on my well-being, focus on what I was there to do the job. And, you know, I stayed there a while before I, and then I left on my terms and I left, you know, which was important for me because um, I wasn't going to be pushed out. I was going to leave when I decided I was right for me to leave, which I did do. Mm -hmm. I, I do. Sorry, Malika, I just want to come in yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of, obviously that is quite a traumatic experience to, to undertake and undergo. So just from an emotional perspective, how did that impact you from, you know, from a mental health and persona perspective? I'm thinking a confidence thing, you know, you, you talked about earlier the fact that you were a cricketer. So yeah. you, you, I think you have to be strong willed, I suppose, if you're in that sporting world. So how, you know, how did that affect you really, you know, having to go through that experience? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had many experiences in cricket as well, but that's probably <laughs> Is that another conversation? I've got enough time for that as well. But um, in terms of, yeah, I, I, I think you just dwell on your experience. I mean, you know, I, without sounding crude, I've been black my entire life and my experiences of racism were before I, before I became a teacher, before I became a cricketer. So um, in terms of developing resilience around situations you learn, but then in terms of that particular situation, it was tough. I, I, I did have to kind of seek counsel and I did have to I think my network was the was the was the thing that really helped so having a strong network of people around me who affirmed things for me which were not aligned with what was being told to me by one person so I or one or even two or three people so um I think that helped a lot because um you know if you've got that strong family network and that strong friendship network and professionally as well because sometimes your family and friends will just say things, you know, not that's, you know, it depends how they are. My family are very well balanced. But what I'm saying is you get some people who just, you know, be like your little hype man while you, no matter what you do. And I don't have those type of people around me. I have people who are honest and modest um, and will say, look, if I need, if there's anything within me that I would need to develop, because we're all developing as human beings, we're all learning, but if there's anything I need to develop and learn, then therefore I, I must do it. But in terms of when things are unfair, you know, it's a case of, right, let's just, you know, do, go away and do this, go away and focus on this. And just, I just focused on how I was going to improve my well-being in that situation. Um, and, but by the same time, do my job. Mm. Uh, so I had to develop, you know, you have to grow more and more. So I had to grow in that situation. And um, what I learned from that was, was things that I just needed. I knew I, I'd have to at one point, at one time, or at other times, help other people with, and that's the key thing for me. So it wasn't. I didn't hang on in there and 
like be a victim my mum always says to me you've got two choices you can be a victim or a volunteer yeah. and make and you can make a choice but you can't be both mm-hmm. so um I made the choice that I was going to make myself stronger not necessarily just within my practice but also as a as a person and just concentrate on doing my job well and then when people came with that negativity towards me I must have like a like a barrier against it I just I just it, it you know it, it was temporary I, it didn't it didn't affect me and that's how I've had to grow myself so that wasn't I'm not saying that I enjoyed that that situation far from it it wasn't enjoyable but what I took from it was, um, you know, sometimes I remember someone said, you're stronger than you think you are. And just also to think about legacy and and also think about where you've come from and what my grandparents endured. Because whenever I think about any situation I go through, I have think of many things, what my grandparents endured, having been part of the Windrush generation, what my what my mother endured when she came over later with, because that happened from coming from the Caribbean, the parents came first and then children came later. And then also thinking about what people in similar position we have endured in order to, you know, survive. And, you know, some people pay the ultimate price, you know, in, in terms of losing their life. So when I think about that, I just had to pull my, not pull myself together because that's far from it because it does affect you mentally, you know. But I knew that there's people who had been there before who had to fight before. So I had to, I had to fight for myself. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're really covering a lot here there. And basically, so I think, no, I know Malika is eager to start talking about this report. So obviously you basically yep. said that at the beginning in terms of obviously, you you know, to be blunt, you've been black all your life. Do you know what I mean? So you, even before yeah. it and school and everything else, you've had to experience racism in, in the community. Uh, I know you mm-hmm. just mentioned there the fact, obviously, with the Rin Rush um, generation. So it's actually, it's kind of, it's, it's part of who you are, isn't it? And obviously it's a case yeah. of, and it shouldn't be, why should be my, why should, why should labels control my behaviors or the way I am in society and then me and Malika have had many conversations uh, about intersectionality in terms of how that people just see one label and that's it that's all that's all you are so so to move on and then Malika do you want to very briefly explain what the report is and then obviously Adrian can come in and describe well I'm not sure if I'm in the position to explain it because I think there's been a lot of uh, ink uh, poured this week about it all I know is that Adrian and when Adrian speaks I hear that I hear that loud and clear because I've I've had many similar experiences and I know what he speaks of I know what he speaks of because I've been there myself you know in situations like this and 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 when you've got a report that's been published this week that dares, dares to make slavery some kind of like positive thing. I mean, I mean, where do I even begin? Where do I even start unraveling what's wrong with society at the moment? I, I can't begin to unravel what's wrong. You know, it's become, for me, um, it's become a total um, gaslighting um, at a monumental scale, if I may say of people with lived experiences like Adrian and I and I don't know what you think Adrian but I'm pretty sure you're going to probably think on the same lines as I do you know in terms of what this has done to generations and generations of uh, of people who have been at the receiving end of racism just because of the way we are born you know we, we, we don't choose to be born the way we are like Adrian says you know he was born black and he, that's all he you know I was born the way I was as well. And to be to be constantly having to justify yourself and your experiences. And then you have people like, uh, you know, 
it was painful for me to watch, but things like David Lammy, for example, having to explain himself and justifying, justifying his Britishness to somebody. Why do we even put him in this position in the first place? Why? You know, I'm sorry, I can't even begin to say how frustrated I am by the whole thing, because I just think that things have gone so far on the other end of the spectrum that I can't see myself how we're going to come back if we're having we're having this amount of gaslighting on a monumental scale that's going on. Adrian, do you want to, do you want to come in on the back of that? Just if you can explain, obviously Malika's quite impassioned here, and obviously I have no, I have well, 100% faith in her, but if, if you know, mm -hmm. people are listening, well, what's this report about? Do you want to firstly explain what the report is, Adrian, and how it's uh, impacted people like yourself and Malika? Well, I mean, the report, um, <laughs> the nice way of putting it, I mean, I actually put something on Twitter about a week, a week ago or so, or a week, or just after the report came out, you know, you're asking people who believe that uh, systemic and uh, structural racism doesn't exist, who believe that in the in from their starting point, to then spend eight months producing a report that says that it doesn't exist. You know, it it, it says it all really. It's it's yeah. a report that identifies that has identified through a lack of real evidence that uh, systemically Britain is. Uh, you know that there's no systemic racism within within Britain. They said, "Oh no, there is racism, but it's not systemic." And then it comes out with facts, which or they're presumed facts, which are, you know, which they make reference to, which are which are which are just straight up awful. Um, for me, it's I I I'd never thought that I'd, in my lifetime I would come across such a ridiculous report, considering. You know, this was commissioned by by the government. It doesn't surprise me. And I, I don't hold, funny enough, I don't necessarily hold a political view in this. I just hold a view on it. And whether it, whether the Labour government had produced it or the Conservative government produced it, I would say exactly the same thing. It's just ridiculous mm. to say that there's no systemic racism when I, then someone else, then someone else, then someone else. There's something when it, when it comes to the point where your experience is unique that's one thing, but when you talk of your experience and then there's a hundred people over there who can say, I understand that because I've had and then a hundred over there and a hundred and a thousand there and thousand and 10,000 and a hundred thousand, it doesn't become a unique experience. It becomes a systemic system, a systemic issue. Now, the other thing with that is, let's, this is where we, where the, the, the kind of, not the political agenda, but where the, the agendas get skewered here. We're not saying, you know, that Britain, everybody in, in England is racist or in Britain is racist or that, you know, uh, down with Whitey or that kind of thing. I don't know if anyone's seen the film I'm Going to Get You Sucker, a comedy from the kind of late 80s, early 90s by the Wayne Brothers. It's not down with that. It's not that. There are, you know, we can take the, you know, the many protests that took part last year, whichever way you look at it, there were many, 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 many white people protesting Mm. about the injustices in society as the, as with black people. So we're not, you know, I think the the whole nature of the report is almost to divide, is devised to create divide, and it's not that simplistic. The reality is systemically, so when you look at those who are in power, who make certain decisions, and how that's cascaded down, it's, it just basically shows that people are repeatedly met with barriers because of their colour, because of their culture, which which inhibits their progress as opposed to someone who may not be of the same milk. And that's 
And they're saying that's not the case because we are successful. I'm successful. I played a successful sports career. I, I believe I'm a successful in education. My mother had, net, well, virtually 25 years as a head teacher, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a problem with the system. And that's what this report is trying to say, that there's, there isn't a problem. Exactly, exactly. Which is why we're all frustrated, because it's that refusal to accept that the, 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 the obstacles that we encounter from birth. And, and we know, you know, you, you're going to talk to any person. I knew I had to work twice as hard just to get to, to where I am at, you know, in life. And because we knew it, we knew what obstacles we were going to have. The CVs where you, whatever, back, back, back in the days when actually your name seen on your CV would mean your CV would be put in the bin, for example, just because of the way your name sounds, for example. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the fact that you turn up to, to places, and I'm talking about work here, but it's the same, you know, in schools, in society at all levels, it's systemic. You know, we've had evidence this week of a, of a and, and, and you know how, how much I believe in the public services. I've always been, always been a strong believer in public services, but we've got now the evidence of one person in the police force, you know, belonging to neo-Nazis and everybody seems to be going, oh my God, you know, a policeman belonging to a neo-Nazi organization. And I've been like, uh, yeah, that's been happening for absolute years at university level, in education, in the public services, people are full of biases and it's systemic. And when you get people in these places that will actually use their uh, biases to stop you from getting somewhere because of your, the color of your skin, your accent, or the way you present and you turn up with a hijab, for example, that sort of thing. That's what we're talking about. It's systemic. It is systemic mm -hmm. because the system is putting mechanisms in place. Yes, there are equality law, laws and things like that, and fantastic that there is. But more needs to be done because these things still occur. These still things still occur. And despite the fact that we may uh, fight them, there comes a point when a lot of us are looking at it and thinking, come on, this report is coming out now and it's just further evidence that our experiences are being um, denied. We, we, our collective experiences here are being denied. We, we're basically told, nothing's going on, it's fine, there's no systemic, uh, systemic racism or, or um, yeah, uh, xenophobia in society, and it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah, I think you're right yeah, there, Monique, when you talk about uh, the, the things that have been put into place in terms of like the Equality Act and all those kind of things. But however, there's still things going on. And I, I want to bring Adrian back in on this one is the fact that, yes, you know, if you apply for a job now, you know, a lot of organisations do that kind of um, uh, blind shortlisting where basically all you receive is the is that is the job that you know what they're replying to do is that you know the 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 statements and you know experience and things like that, none of the names. I think that helps. But there's, you know, why does it come to that point where we have to kind of take people's names out just so it's more a more of a fair process? Um, but Adrian, I wanted to kind of bring you in if, if I can. Obviously, you talk, you know, in education, um, there is the the the, it's the attainment gap, and it's quite common, you know, that fact at university level, uh, black students seem to score less or perform less. Now, can you probably? very briefly kind of explain why that could be because obviously I've worked in education and I I found it quite confusing that actually there was even a, a trigger for that mechanism to be to score it so 
can you explain a little bit about that and how why it come why it came come about, um, Adrian? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure that the one thing I'm I'm aware of is that from the students that actually enter university and those because there's the stats and says oh well numbers are going up of those who are going to university but actually completing university is a different thing altogether the stats for that are are quite harrowing mm. and in terms of why the attainment is again we're, we're talking about young people's journeys so if for example um you know you have a young person who's um who's got to university and that's and that's all well and good ultimately they're still they're still coming like all of us we come they come with their lived experiences and and those who may be teaching lecturing them or what have you will have their lived experiences so there's always going to be a not not a, not a barrier but there's always going to be that kind of apprehension and there's also the confidence you know people are you know if like i said i was born who i was you know, at 18 years old, at 19 years old, I mean, I, I did open university, so I did mine later. Um, but I go back to being that age. I had so many experiences up to that point that even if I'd gone to university at that age, I would have been apprehensive and perhaps not as confident as others may have been about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure in terms of whether I'd say universities are, are racist because I didn't actually have that experience. But what I would say is, Remember, people come with their their experiences, and as an 18, 19 year old, if I'd gone to university at that time, you know, I it would have it may well have been difficult for me just to just to get through. And I'm and thinking about from an Ofsted um, thing, we talk about cultural capital, and many young people who come from um, you know social economic conditions which are not familiar with university. I know that is a big push on cultural capital. Thinking going back. Just going to university and having an experience at university, experiences are very, university is a very different experience. And that that alone can be, I'm not sure about that transition. We spend a lot of time looking at transition from primary to secondary, but I'm not sure how much we actually invest in, in actually helping young people who come from different backgrounds about their transition into university because university is a different experience. And it would be something that for some, which is outside of their their lived experience up to that point. So that in itself could contribute to the the um, you know the data that we have. I think you're quite right though in terms of supporting people from other backgrounds to come to university because I know when I was there I remember a period where they were talking about kind of they've got like target areas in terms of the kind of like un the most people unlikely to go to university but actually they they do have the intelligence and to, to do so and to further themselves. So I think I know what you mean in terms of, you know, there's more work that universities can be done and the government generally in terms of bridging those gap from high school to college, from college to the university. So I think that's just the start of the journey. It's really interesting how you say experiences do have an impact on, you know, if you go to higher education, but experiences even happen in the workplace, don't they? So in terms of that fact, yeah. you know, as well. So do you want to, should we talk very briefly about uh, the experiences of going into the workplace? Yeah. It, I'm, <laughs> I can, yeah, I can recall one of my first jobs um, and uh, I had a, a haircut, which was, it wasn't outrageous. I wasn't one of those young people who had zigzags and stuff in their head or more power to you. I wasn't that, I wasn't that brave. I just had you, what to me is like, which young, many young people with bog standards, short back and sides. And um, I, uh, I was told by a manager uh, at the place that I worked, if you have that haircut, haircut again, you'll you'll get the sack. And the, the thing is, it's just a lack of understanding. You know, as Stephen R. Covey talked about quite clearly in the Seven Habits, you know, you have to seek to understand in order to be understood. 
And for me, in terms of ignorance in the workplace, it's just a lack of understanding. We need, and that's quite scary considering that how far back it's been since, you know, since the Windrush generation, since my grandparents came to the UK, that where you would go into a workplace and people still don't embrace that Britain is diverse um, and that there are people with different experiences and different backgrounds and that therefore they have this very, that in some place, that very kind of whitewashed, um, in inverted commas, kind of out view that this is what it, it how things are and this is how it is. Yeah. I recall um, working with a bunch of young black youth literally just just hanging out at break time, but they're, you know, can be, and this is not stereotypical, you know, it can be quite loud and quite, and you know, ca- you know, like I say, catching jokes and all that kind of stuff. And mm. it's just, it's just, it's just how they would chill and hang out and that being perceived as being disruptive. Yeah. It's just about understanding people's experience and, and reaching out to understand what, you know, how they are and, and understanding that. And I think in the workplace, we've, we've, not, we've not got there yet. And, and that's a shame. That is a shame. And that's part of the systemic and the, the, the system and the structural issues that we have. How are you going to understand it if you don't reach out to understand it? If your perception of people is, is, is fixed or it's a case of, okay, I'll give him a break because he works hard, but you still need to understand people. And that, you know, and that's, and that's my concern. I think yeah. you're right there, Raging, where I've seen many businesses celebrate they're a diverse uh, organisation, but then when you when you look into it in terms of like some, something as simple as a staff network, they don't have any. So I'm like, well, how do you celebrate your diverse and cult- culturally diverse organisation, but then don't celebrate your staff? So it's quite interesting. Now, um, Malika, um, you mentioned uh, biases uh, in, in your when you were talking earlier on. Now, obviously, Unfortunately, we are running out of time for this episode, but um, I think we should um, continue this conversation uh, in the next uh, edition where we talk about unconscious biases. So do you want to briefly kind of talk about what you were, what, what, what our plans are for the next discussion, Malika? Yeah, so the next discussion is going to be exploring uh, the idea of unconscious bias. And we've kind of like touched on that in the workplace, for example, and Adrian gave a perfect example here with the uh, group of young uh, young boys uh, having a laugh and, and being just youngsters with people having some stereotypes and some views as to uh, what uh, another person might be like just because of their perceived um stereotypes of them. Um, It's fair to say that I always have been seen as an angry woman. Uh, That's the bias that people attribute to me because I can, you can't, you can't say something, if you say something and you don't say it in, in a way that is going to be pleasing people and dressing it up with flowers, then you come across as an angry woman and that's the bias that's been attributed to me many, many times. And I'll wear that badge with pride, I will, because um, I've learned to live with those and to actually live my life now. Uh, so yeah, we will be exploring that with you, Adrian, next episode and I really want to thank you so much. Uh, for coming on uh, to share your experience today. It's been absolutely fantastic and enlightening. Thank you so much, Adrian. No problem, thank you very much. Okay, so on that happy note, uh, my name is Graham. And I'm Malika. And you've been listening to episode one of, of two parts on the conversation. Thank you.